Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. We welcome any visitors who might be worshiping with us today, as well as any who may be joining us online. We pray that we'll be, we will be blessed as we worship the Lord together today, and that he is glorified by our worship. To repeat a few of the announcements from this morning, and to add one to them, first of all, there will be a consistory meeting tomorrow evening, starting at 7.30. Council also has a regularly scheduled meeting with the church visitors on September 27th, beginning at 7.30. Anyone wishing to meet with the church visitors prior to that meeting should contact Consistory. Offerings today will be collected for the work of the deacons as they do their work both within this congregation and outside of it. And you're reminded again that the offerings next week will be collected for Samaritan's Purse Canada to help the BC wildfire victims. And finally, the Young People Society will be meeting this evening, starting at 5.30 p.m. at the pastor's home, so at the manse, and it's open to all the young people's uh, 16 years of age and older. And this afternoon again, our pastor, Jeremy Segstro, will lead us again in worship. Good afternoon, congregation. What a blessing it is to gather together for worship, not just once, but even twice on this Lord's Day. Our God calls us into worship with this commandment from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you are able, please rise. Brothers and sisters, let us call upon the Lord with pure hearts, confessing together that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. We are here for one reason, and that is to worship. We are here to worship, to call upon the Lord with a pure heart. And we know that it is God who calls us to worship him and who purifies our heart. Let us sing of this with the words of Psalm 101, the first three stanzas. with me in prayer. 
O Lord God, our King, I confess before you that it is not our praises, it is not our prayers, it is not our lives that cause you to love us. For all our attempts to shun evil, all our attempts to live a life far from sin, we fail. We still have that desire for evil within us. We have evil desires and thoughts and inclinations deep within us. And there are times, far too many times, that instead of resisting these desires, we give in to them. It is not anything that we have done that causes you to love us, but it is only who you are. Your grace and your mercy and your overflowing love. We thank you for that. This afternoon, as we examine the wickedness of our heart, how we have compartmentalized and damaged and broken love, we ask that you would be near to us. We know that this topic, the seventh commandment, is not easy to talk about. It is not easy for us to admit our failings in this area, and we admit that none of us is blameless. It's not easy for us to talk about even just to mention your great gift, one of your great gifts, making us as sexual beings. Even when we are not confessing any sin related to this, the topic is still difficult. Grant us strength and insight this afternoon. Grant us bravery to delve into these topics that we rarely discuss. Help me to speak of your gifts appropriately and respectfully. Let my words be your words. And cause them to make real and lasting changes in all who need to hear them. Bless us this hour, O Lord, we pray. Amen. In connection with our confessional reading, please open Holy Scripture with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, the Corinthians, like every other church ever to exist, had a sin problem. Now, for Corinth, one of their biggest problems was sexual sin. Sexual sin that they did not resist, but rather celebrated. So let's see what our God has to say to this impure and unholy church. We'll read 1 Corinthians 6, the verses 9 through 20. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, revilers rather, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We see that this impure church is called justified. We see that this unholy church is called sanctified. 
It is not that their sins are forgotten or swept under the rug, but their sins are forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ. This is the cost of forgiveness. Let us sing of the forgiveness that we have promised to us by God with the words of Psalm 32, the stanzas 1 and 3. now come in our confessional reading to Lord's Day 41. Please turn there with me, page 556 of your book of praise. The Lord's Day 41, it deals with the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. When we really think about it, many of us shift awkwardly in our seats Avoid eye contact, turn red. This isn't an easy commandment to talk about. And I'm not going to brush over it and make it easy in the sermon either. There will be awkward moments for me and maybe for you. But this is the price of truly examining God's word together and it is worthwhile. Let's take a look. Lord's Day 41. What does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity.
After the sermon, we will sing our Amen song of hymn 28, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, 5, and 6. May God bless the preaching of the truths of his word. Beloved in Jesus Christ our Lord, I'm going to begin this afternoon by shattering a misconception that some of you may have about love. There's the idea that there are four kinds of biblical love. And this idea just isn't true. This is difficult for me to say because this is an idea popularized by C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book, I believe it was called The Four Loves, about this exact topic. C.S. Lewis, as you know, is a man who I love to read, love to quote, often in sermons to you. Now this is how the idea is usually presented. There are four kinds of biblical love. There's agape love, phileo love, eros love, and storge love. Agape is the special divine love that God has for us. Phileo is brotherly love that we should have for each other. Eros is romantic love between a husband and a wife. And storge is family love, a kind of empathetic bond. And it sounds so nice. It divides things up so nicely. But unfortunately, and I'm sorry to burst your bubble, the Bible never makes these clear divisions. While Lewis's four types of love do exist in ancient Greek writings, they exist alongside at least four other types of love, for a total of eight. And the Bible, well, the Bible only speaks of two of these four kinds of love that Lewis mentions. Scripture speaks of agape love. And while it is used for the love that God has for us, it is used in that way. It's also used for the love that we must have for our neighbor, the love that we must have for our enemies. This is the type of love that husbands are to have for their wives. Ephesians 5.25 is agape love. While we are to love fully, we are to love as God loves us, as we heard this morning. Agape love, it's not this special kind of divine love that's unattainable to human beings. It's the regular love that we're commanded to show to all those we meet. As for phileo love, well, it is used for brotherly affection. It's a word sometimes translated as friend. This is also the word used in Titus 2 verse 4. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. Train the young women to phileo their husbands and children. And I don't think it's fair or right to assume that Paul was telling Titus that women are supposed to friend zone their husbands. It's not what is being said here. So the different kinds, or the different words for love, they, they have a lot of overlap with each other. And now I don't say this to merely ruin your idea of the four kinds of biblical love, or to claim that I know better than C.S. Lewis, but rather there's a positive aspect here too. It's fine to talk about different aspects of love, different dimensions of love, as long as we realize that they're all love. They're all supposed to go together. It's like apples and oranges. There are differences, but at the end of the day, they're both fruit. And so self-sacrificing love, friendship love, empathetic love, all of these are different aspects of the love that we should have for each other. And all of these three plus the fourth, that romantic physical love, they're aspects of the love that we should have for our spouse. So, with a description like this, let me ask you, do you see this kind of love in our society? Do we see examples of husband of a husband and a wife willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the other, who are also best friends, who are empathetic and really feel each other's emotions? along with having a respectful and romantic physical relationship. Well, I think this is impossible to find in society. And I think it's very difficult to find in the church. Instead, these aspects of love have been fragmented. They've been broken apart into four completely different things that we share with completely different people. And this is the problem. And when we look at our Lord's Day, Lord's Day 41 as it deals with the seventh commandment, on first glance, you might say, it only focuses in on one kind of love, that eros love, that romantic physical love. 
But when we say that, we have become part of the problem. Even in the church, we don't really get it. It isn't just in society that these aspects of love have been fragmented, but in our minds also. And so this afternoon, I invite you to join me as we learn to embrace a larger view of love. Let us ask together and answer together the question, how then shall we love? And we see this in two points, by recognizing the ugliness of our corruption and by recognizing the beauty of his gifts. It's interesting, some of you may wonder why I chose the word love for the theme. Surely love would have fit better with the sixth commandment. Instead of hatred, heart murder, we must love. And while I did speak on love last time, there are two reasons why it's here also. First of all, love is a euphemism. Love is a word that I can say without saying what I'm actually talking about. Love is a euphemism for sexuality. And I use the euphemism because the seventh commandment is an awkward commandment to talk about. It's a commandment related to our sexuality. And so on the one hand, I must tread very cautiously and be careful with my word choices and examples because of the children here present. There are certain things that aren't for young ears. But on the other hand, I'm not completely sure that I would be much more comfortable if I was preaching to a congregation made up exclusively of those 18+. plus. For example, as, as most of you know, I, I just moved into a new house. And the majority of what I had to move are books. If you were there, you know. Books on all kinds of topics. Books on the Old Testament and the Hebrew language. Books on church history. Books on counseling. And my collection of counseling books, I have a few books on the topic of sex. And I was glad, first of all, that the books were opaque cardboard and that those who helped me move in couldn't see these books. And secondly, I was glad that I would be the one unpacking these books and putting them on the shelf so that nobody would see them then either. And as I unpacked them, I averted my gaze and I blushed as I put the books Sex for Christians and the book Intended for Pleasure and the book The Intimate Marriage on my shelf. There's awkwardness and anxiety about this topic for me and for many others. The Seventh Commandment is awkward to talk about. Now, there may be some of you who think, well, yes, but the opposite is much worse. It's better to feel awkward than it, than it is to be promiscuous and sexually immoral. But what we don't realize is that the one leads to the other. Now, it seems contradictory. It seems that they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but it's true. The one leads to the other. And this is the corruption that we see in the world. These are the two steps. Step one. The world says, sex is awkward and dirty. Step two, do it. Why? Why does it come to these two steps in the world? These two steps, both of which go against God's good gift, against his plan for mankind. How did we get here? Well, ultimately, we got to this place because it was easy. It was the path of least resistance. Back when society was broadly Christian, Parents and schools, and not all of them, maybe some of our schools were better than this. But parents and schools, most of them, took the easy way out. Instead of teaching young people properly, this teaching was merely avoided, or at best, it was glossed over. It's a lot easier to say, no, I'm not going to talk about this, I'm not going to teach about this, because it's bad, it's worldly, and there's nothing to say to good Christians about it. There's a few problems with that kind of thinking. Because sex is a topic that is thoroughly biblical. Song of Songs speaks of the relationship between a man and a woman in poetic and yet graphic ways. And it's natural. God has created men and women as as sexual creatures. We're created not only to emotionally and mentally complement each other, but in a way to physically complement each other as well. Then... Perhaps one of the worst things here, one of the worst problems, what happens when young people get married? Their entire lives, they've been taught that sex is awkward and dirty, sinful and inappropriate. And then, after putting on fancy clothing, exchanging a few vows and rings, suddenly, all of that just changes on a dime? 
problem of overt sexuality in our society is largely a fault of our own making. When sex became an act of rebellion, well, of course it gained traction. Sex became one of the main ways for young people to rebel. And look at where society is today. Look at where society is today. And here I was wanting to quote from some suggestive popular music. But honestly, with what is coming out nowadays, it's impossible to find something that I could actually quote in a sermon. So I'm going to go back about eight years. I'm going to quote a few of the tamest lyrics from what is now a comparatively tame song, even though it wasn't when it came out. The song, Blurred Lines, from 2013 by Robin Thicke. These are the lines. Okay, now he was close. Tried to domesticate you, but you're an animal. Maybe it's in your nature. Just let me liberate you. This is what it's come to. The very act that was once a gift from God has become something animalistic. That this woman has this animal inside of her that he has to set free through sex. Is there any love in these lyrics at all? Think back to those four kinds of love. Those four legitimate aspects of this wondrous gift that God has given to us. Which one of those four has people acting like animals? Is it the love that's like God's love to us? Is it the brotherly love? Is it the intimate, gentle love between a husband and a wife? The empathetic love? This description has nothing to do with love at all. And when you learn in school and church that sex is something strange and awkward, and then you hear from artists like Robin Thicke, not to mention the recent garbage that has come out with Nicki Minaj, Pitbull, The Weeknd, and whoever else, so many others that I lose track, that sex is about objectifying women and animalistic behavior and pain and filth, then this is what you start to believe. It all fits together to create this perfect storm. And isn't just songs that teach this message. Books like Fifty Shades of Grey, TV shows like Game of Thrones, they're all around us, and they're all saying the same thing. They're all shouting out the same message. Sex is awkward and dirty. Do it. This is the mindset. This is the heartbeat, even, of society. And you know what they say. When it rains in the world, it trickles into the church. Even if we try to avoid these shows and books and songs, society still finds a way to trickle in. And one thing, the thing that is one of the biggest problems in the church right now, the thing that I haven't mentioned yet, because you guessed it, it's awkward, is internet pornography. That's just a few clicks away, and it's so destructive. The latest research says that the porn industry makes over $5 billion a year, and that over 90% of young people are exposed to it before the age of 18. It's addictive, it's destructive, and it will take over your life. Pornography literally rewires your brain. It changes how you view the other sex. It destroys relationships and marriages, and even your relationship with God. The guilt that rightfully comes as a result of pornography, and the shame that then takes over. Well, pornography is just like the seductive woman in Proverbs 5. The lips of a foreign woman, of a foreign woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. So tantalizing. And it promises so much. But what it delivers is nothing but death and destruction. This is our brave new world. This is a world that is traded in true and biblical love for pathetic, empty, damaging, fragmented pieces of what we could have. So what now? Well, what now is two words. Say them with me if you know them. Two words, but God. But God has given us wonderful gifts instead. And we have a choice. As we heard a few weeks ago, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. 
Will it be the sexually depraved society? Or will it be your glorious God who gives nothing but good gifts? That's our second point. I'll invite you to imagine with me what our society would look like if we viewed love in the same way that God views love. Imagine all these various aspects of love coming together and forming the backbone of our society. And just because there are at least these four aspects of love, I'm going to use these these different words that aren't exactly biblical, but are ancient. Agape. The aspects of love that mirrors what God has done for us and what we are to do for each other. That kind of selfless love, that kind of radical love that puts the other before our own needs and desires because we trust that our needs will be met when we experience that agape love too from someone else. Phileo love. That friendship aspect that just likes being around the other person. You don't always have to be going out having adventures But maybe it's something as simple or monotonous as building a bookcase together or going to the store. Maybe it's going for an early morning walk or playing a board game. That kind of love where you don't have to be saying any words to each other. You're just spending time together. Storge, that family love. That deep-seated, never-going-away kind of love where you know what the other person's feeling and you feel it too. You mourn together and you rejoice together. Their pain makes you feel pain. Their joy puts a smile on your face. And then eros, the physical love. Imagine when all the other aspects are there in the relationship, when all the other aspects of love are there in the marriage, when a husband selflessly takes care of his wife, when a wife sees her husband as her best friend, when you share emotions and you share a home, then that physical manifestation of love, it comes so naturally and so beautifully. It's a beautiful gift, this eros love, our sexuality. It's not just some kind of trick that God played on us. It's not that God said, here's something amazing, I've designed you for this, but you can't have it. Instead, we should think of it like a fire. Fire in the proper spot. A fire in a fireplace, it's warm and it's inviting. Fire, in a fireplace, it provides warmth and comfort. Fire can be used to cook food and to dry clothing. It's wonderful. But let fire get out of its proper place? Well, I don't need to remind you of the wildfires that raged across B.C. for the last few months. I don't need to bring up pictures of towns burnt to the ground. It is destructive. That's just the same with sex. Sex is a beautiful Wonderful gift of God when it's used properly. When it's used in love, when it's used within a marriage. Our God is a good and generous God. He isn't trying to keep something good and fulfilling away from us by this commandment. But he's trying to protect us from harm. He's trying to protect us from all the evils that happen when we abuse this gift. He isn't trying to rob you. He's trying to help. This is what it should look like. This wonderful gift of God. But what happens when it doesn't? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with the pornography all around us? What are we to do when we're tempted to have an affair with someone who understands us more than our spouse? Someone who values us. Someone who makes us feel special. Let's begin with the affair because I just told you the answer for that one. The answer for that is look at these four aspects of love. Look at them. Study them. Read the Bible. Highlight in your Bible every time it says the word love. You'll find over 700 occurrences of it in there. It's a start. So learn what love is and then show that love to your spouse. Don't show your spouse your Bible with all the words highlighted and say, do this for me. But show that love. Internalize that love and show it through your actions to your spouse. If you have to be the first one to show it, then so be it. But learn to be selfless. Learn to be best friends. Learn to feel what she feels. And so fill your romantic, physical love with deep and true meaning. And then to the unmarried. Children, young people, adults, 
even the elderly. I mostly talk to you now, although, of course, those who are married can still be tempted in this way. But pornography. If you are one of the few that has never viewed pornography, I beg you, guard yourselves. Don't go down that road. And I don't say that because sex is bad, but I say it because pornography is bad. This is one of the biggest challenges facing our youth. Don't go down there. Resist the temptation and you will be a better person for it. If you go down that pathway, all that you will find is pain and misery, guilt and shame, and it's a very hard climb back up. Believe me. Parents, please work to protect your children. Use internet blocks, programs like Covenant Eyes. Do practical things like having the computer in a well-trafficked area of the house. If you haven't done that, don't. But for those who have fallen down the rabbit hole, for those who are struggling with sexual sin, whether pornography or an affair or premarital sex, here's the challenge for you. This isn't an optional one. You have to tell someone. You can't continue to fight alone. Because that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to be alone. He wants you to be weak. You have to confess your sins to God, but also you have to confess your sins to someone else if you want any kind of victory over this sin in your life. You must tell someone. Tell a trusted and wise friend. Tell someone you trust and fight it together. If you don't know who you can tell, tell me. I'll leave my phone on tonight and my email open. Do it today. Because tomorrow isn't soon enough. Do it today, if this is how you struggle. And you might ask, why would I want to confess? It's too shameful. It's too powerful. There's no hope for me. Maybe this is just my thorn in the flesh, and I will have to deal with it as long as I live. Well, you're right. It is too shameful. It is too shameful for you to handle on your own, but it's not too shameful for Christ. It is too powerful for you, but it's not too powerful for him. So bring it to him. Bring it to him on your knees and then follow his instructions to confess your sins to your brother or your sister that you might be restored. That's your challenge. And now an encouragement to you. Encouragement to us all because none of us have properly fulfilled this commandment. Sexual sin, whatever that has looked like for you, it's not unforgivable. It is destructive and damaging and evil, but it is a sin that Jesus Christ died for. You are not irredeemable if you are a sexual sinner. Because what did our reading say? It says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says. Sin is serious business. But grace? Grace is greater. Grace is stronger. Think of what we heard last week in the afternoon. Think about that sermon. As Reverend Zeckfeld, he excitedly told us about his experience in the planetarium. How he was in awe of creation, the vast expanse of space, the stars, the galaxies. And this is the feeling that we should have as we read these next words. If this is what you struggle with, highlight this in your Bible, type it out, print it out, put it on your wall. It lists through the sins and it says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. You were these things. You were filthy and disgusting and broken. You were slaves to sin, helpless and hopeless. But now, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were washed. Your sins have been washed away. They were once a scarlet, but now they are white as snow. You were sanctified. You were made holy. Not only have you been forgiven for your sins, but you have been transformed. You have been given a new heart. You have been made holy as God is holy. 
You may still feel sinful and filthy and broken, but that's not how God sees you. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. You had your right relationship with God restored. You've been, you've been made right with God. Even though your conscience may rightly accuse you of your sin, that you've broken God's commandments and are inclined to all evil. What did God do? The famous, amazing, awe-inspiring, but God of the gospel. Even though, but God, without anything that you did, out of mere grace, he gives you the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Now, the greatest gift that God has ever given us is not sex. This world may run on sex, but God doesn't. The greatest gift that God has ever given us is simply love. The overflowing, abounding, never-ending, radical love of God that makes sinners into saints, that transforms enemies into family, that washes us clean from every stain of sin. The love that gives us a new start. The love that gives us a new life. Beloved, let us not be ashamed of the gifts of God. In this world that is so desperately seeking love, in this world where loneliness and heartache are front and center, let us rest secure in what God has promised us. This world seeks to cure their loneliness with the very thing that caused it in the first place. It's like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. They break love up into these different parts. They fill up on what has been dirty and what has become dirty and forbidden, and they get emptier and emptier. But what God promises is genuine love, ultimate, genuine fulfillment. He promises what the world promises, but only God can deliver. I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters. Each and every one of us, no matter how young, no matter how old, are looking for love. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love was never shown more than in the death and life of Jesus Christ. So let us use his gifts wisely. Let us use his gifts appropriately. And with all things, let us use them to his glory. Amen.
let us now confess our faith in the God who saved us and loved us when we were yet sinners, when we were yet impure and unholy. We'll do so with the words of him too. have the opportunity to give of the gifts with which God has blessed you, after which we will sing hymn 48, the stanzas 3 and 4. May God bless your giving.
for the needs of this world. We lift up Pakistan as Muslims have attacked the homes of Christians because of a new church opening up. We will also pray for all those who have been wounded by sexual abuse and pornography use. And finally, we will pray for the election happening tomorrow, that God's will be done and that a godly government is elected. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, I come before you not confident in ourselves, but having confidence in your beloved Son, who has made a way for us to approach you, despite our sin. I thank you for his work on the cross to wash us clean, so that we may be able to be presented as pure virgins before you, unstained, unsullied by any sin. Lord, we mourn over our sins. We mourn that Christ had to come to forgive them. We mourn over the sins themselves and the after effects of our fall into sin. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Pakistan as Muslims have been taken to, have taken to the streets in violent protest over a church opening up. We pray for all those who have been wounded as houses of known believers have been attacked, shooting guns into the walls and windows, wounding many. Lord, we pray that you would act in this country and throughout the Middle East as Christians undergo real and severe persecution. Lord, let our love for the world not be simply empty platitudes, but let it be our heart's true desire for evil to be vanquished once and for all. We pray for this world, especially this Western world, as human sexuality is something that those in power have chosen to exploit. They have chosen to sell. They have chosen to abuse. Lord, we pray for all those who have suffered because of sexual sin. We pray for those who have suffered because of their own sexual sin, for those addicted to pornography, for those who have used prostitutes, for those who are splitting their soul with their exploits and abuses. Lord, we pray for anyone here that is described in those words. Pray that you will give them the courage to come forward and confess their sin and be set free. We also pray for those who have been wounded by the sexual sin of others, whether through abuse or anything else. Lord, please heal what has been hurt. Please restore hope and joy. Give back what has been taken away and strengthen the survivors. Keep them from reactive sins as well. Reactive sins such as self-harm. Reactive sins such as hatred and a desire for revenge. Lord, we truly want justice to be done. Lord, break the power of those who prey on others. 
Let them never more do this ever again. And give us the confidence that you will avenge every evil and that you will heal every hurt and dry every tear. Finally, O oh Lord, we pray for the election happening in Canada tomorrow, that your will be done and that there would be a godly government elected, a government who will stand up for the unborn, a government who will, who will protect life at all stages, life in the womb, the life and well-being of those who deal with depression or confusion or hopelessness, the life of the elderly, and the life of those living with disabilities. We pray that you would keep our country strong and free. And let us, as your church, truly stand on guard for you, to stand on guard for the righteous laws in this country, righteous laws that are parallel to your laws. We need you, O oh God. We need you personally. We need you nationally, and we need you globally. Work in us, we pray. Amen. In closing, let us lift up our voices and sing hymn 7, the stanzas 1 and 2. washed us from all sin and stain, purified us and made us whole. Go in his peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.